0: What's up, everybody? Great to see you guys. Hey, welcome. Uh, welcome to New Hope. Uh, my name is Mike Bro, in case we've never met before. I get the privilege of being on the teaching team around this place, and want to welcome all the campuses all over the place. So glad we get to do this together. Those of you that might be joining us online as well, uh, super grateful for, for you. Uh, we are in this series that we're calling Shoes, uh, where we're trying to walk in the shoes of different people that encountered Jesus uh, one-on-one. And in the weeks to come, uh, we're going to slip on a pair of stilettos. You don't want to miss that week. Uh, next week, we're going to slip on a pair of, of work boots. Uh, last week, uh, we did flip-flops. But today, we're going to go a little more formal. And we're going to put on a pair of these classics right here, these wingtips. Now, before we actually slip these on, I want to I ask you, how did you sleep last night? You guys sleep, sleep well last night? I'm, I'm a little bit on, uh, on, on West Coast time. Sometimes I have trouble sleeping when I come all, all the way. But you ever have one of those nights where you're just, you're just tossing and turning? You know, it might be heartburn, it might be your bladder. Uh, maybe the video game you were playing right before you went to sleep is still playing on the back of your eyelids. Ever had that happen to you? That, does your mind ever get just swirling with questions and to do things that you just can't shut it down? You ever had one of those nights? Well, there was this guy his name was Nicodemus, who seemed to be having one of those nights. He tossing and turning, counting sheep, drinking glasses of warm milk, chugging NyQuil. I don't know what he was doing, but none of it seemed to calm the thoughts that were racing through his mind. And I don't know whether he goes to see Jesus at night because it's the only time that Jesus could fit him into his very busy schedule that's really pretty doubtful. I don't know if Nicodemus went to see Jesus at night because he was afraid to be seen with Jesus in broad daylight, that's highly probable. But what I do know is that this guy has been questions. Questions that would not let him rest. Another thing I know about this dude Nicodemus is that no one referred to him as dude. Uh, he was not a flip flop wearing surfer dude kind of guy he didn 't own a pair of work boots, loafers, or vans. He was all button down. He was a wingtip wearing polished shoes. He had that professorial academic i 'm so much smarter than you look and the thing is he he probably was. He also possessed a very impressive pedigree. His grandfather was a Jewish ambassador to the Roman Emperor. Pompey, his father was a highly decorated war general. His name, Nicodemus, even means victory for the people. So greatness was expected of this guy since the day he was born. Now, how many of y'all have a nickname? I got a nickname? Uh, you know, some, some, some nicknames are very flattering, others are not so much. Uh, I've, had a, I've had both kinds throughout my life. But for most part, people just call me bro, and that is my last name. But that's just kind of stuck As a nickname, most people just refer to me as as bro. My daughter, Jody, who will be here in a couple of weeks to unpack the stilettos talk, people just call her Joe. My son, Derek, everybody calls him D. Maybe, Maybe you're a William, but people call you Bill, or maybe you're a Samantha, and everybody just refers to you as Sam. So I thought it might be easier today, throughout this talk, to refer to Nicodemus as Nick for short. But then I got thinking, he wasn't a Nick for short kind of guy. So we're just gonna stick with calling him Nicodemus. And I would guess that it was his heritage, his background, his success, his wealth, his intellectual prowess that made him so easily accepted into the exclusive religious country club for the spiritually elite known as the Pharisees. Have you heard of these guys? There were some 6,000 of those elitists in Jesus' day. They were supposed to be very strict observers of the law of God, as well as their own man-made rules, which by the way, uh, superseded God's word most of the time. They had taken the original 10 commandments and added like 600 of their own. And most of these guys had become masters of twisting God's word in order to justify their lifestyle. While at the same time, piling guilt on the common people for religiously underachieving. These guys were judgmental, they were harsh, they were power hungry, they were intimidating, and tragically, as a result, the common people began to seem to see God that way. Enter Jesus. Now, I've said this before here, but Jesus didn't come only to lay down his life for our sins. Don't get me wrong, that's, that's huge. But Jesus also came to show us what God is really like. And as Jesus moved among the people, I mean, all people, no matter what kind of shoes they happen to be in, he reached out and he touched and he loved and he healed the outcast and the broken and the diseased and the forgotten of society, the ones who had been labeled by the Pharisees as quote unquote, notorious sinners. As Jesus moved among all the people, he began to blow away their misper- misperceptions of what God was like. You see, no matter what kind of label people may have placed upon you in the past, Jesus only puts one label on everybody, priceless. Now, not only was Nicodemus a member of the Pharisees, he was also a part of the inner circle known as the Sanhedrin. There were 70 of the sharpest Jewish intellectuals who were chosen to rule spiritually and somewhat politically over the entire Jewish nation. These were some of the most powerful and influential leaders of the day. So when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, he comes as a very significant leader, a power broker, an intellectual Old Testament scholar, but most of all, he comes to Jesus as a man whose restless mind would not let him go to sleep. So this is how the story begins. It's in John chapter three in the New Testament part of the Bible. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, a couple of things jumped out at me when I read those two verses. First of all, I think it's kind of cool that Nicodemus refers to Jesus as rabbi. You see, Jesus really didn't have all the necessary credentials of his day to be officially honored by the Pharisees, at least, with such a distinguished title. He had no formal seminary training. He, had no, uh, he wasn't a long-term disciple of, of another rabbi. He had no internship. He had no degree, no master of divinity, no PhD, no PhD. He was just a simple carpenter from Nazareth who just so happened to teach with real authority like no one the people had ever heard before. So Nicodemus addresses him with this title of respect. And then notice how he said this. We all know. We all know that God sent you to teach us your miraculous signs or evidence that God is with you. Now, I was taken back not only by Nicodemus' admission that the miracles that Jesus was doing proved that he was from God, but also the use of the word we, because it makes it seem like he wasn't the only one not sleeping well. Like others in the group had questions. Others were curious, others were intrigued, others had begun to wonder, what if, what if this guy really is from God? I mean, what, what if that John the baptizer guy was right when he said, look, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So Nicodemus in using the plural is saying, um, some of the guys are wondering, but he was the only one who actually had the courage to step up and meet Jesus one-on-one. And you know, I think Jesus respected that about Nicodemus. Because gang, listen, God has always honored, even embraced skeptics and seekers and doubters. God is always open to honest dialogue. And you need to know something. If, if that's where you are these days, God wants to hear your questions. He invites you to dig and research and probe and experience because anyone who humbly cracks the door on the possibility that he just might be real, he'll show up and help you find your answers. Because God loves honesty. He loves skeptics, he loves seekers, he loves doubters. He just loves you. He even says, if you will seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. And and I've learned it really is like like a head and a heart type of thing. It's been my experience through the years that sometimes people who construct this intellectual argument that God does not exist, really, A lot of times they're just building a wall of intellectualism around a heart that's been wounded somewhere along the way. And if they would just get honest with that and open up their heart and risk experiencing God in the emotional part of their being, while at the same time engaging their mind and weighing all the evidence, then small seeds of faith get planted and a light starts to come on and God becomes very, very real. And I'm just guessing that maybe, just maybe, God has been longing for some honest dialogue with some of you. And I'm just telling you from my own experience, He really does wanna satisfy your heart and your head. Now I've always wondered what this scene looked like. Like if Jesus and Nicodemus were sitting on an outdoor Patio with a with a lamp or a candle between them. Maybe they're sh- like sharing a cup of coffee, or maybe they're eating a piece of pie, which would be key lime because it's the best. I'm just saying that for people that like to give pastors gifts and stuff, or or, or maybe, or, you know, maybe maybe they're in a secluded forest. I don't know. Maybe they maybe they got their you know like, a, like hoods pulled up, covering their identity, or maybe they're standing on a rooftop overlooking the city with no other lights in the sky except for the except for the stars. I don't I don't know what the setting was, but one thing is for certain, it's it's late and it's dark, and Nicodemus comes for some honest dialogue. He just doesn't know how honest Jesus is gonna get. Before Nicodemus even has a chance to ask a question, Jesus starts answering. Now I say answering because Jesus already knows what Nicodemus is thinking. He already knows his doubts. He already knows his intellectual hangups. He already knows that Nicodemus wants to ask, are you the promised Messiah? If not, then who are you and where did you come from? He knows that's what Nicodemus wants to ask, but that isn't necessarily what Nicodemus needs to hear. So Jesus rocks his world by saying, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You see, Nicodemus, the issue is not so much who I am and where I came from. The issue is who you are and where you're going. How's that for an icebreaker? I love how Jesus just takes this conversation to a deeper level right off the bat. He could've gone like we do, go through all the small talk stuff about the weather. You think Zion is gonna be the first pick in the NBA draft? Or or you're from Nazareth? Well, I'm from Nazareth. I think an the aunt that lives in Nazareth. Really, what's her name? No kidding. My dad and I framed her house. Or Really, I made that table, the dining room table. I used to sit around that table every, every year at Passover. What a small world. I mean, this awkward silence stuff. Instead of any of that small talk, Jesus lovingly goes below the surface with one of his famous, what the heck does that mean, statements. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. To which Nicodemus responds, what the heck does that mean? I mean, how come on, how can an old man, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be, as you say, born again? Now, I think that Nicodemus is totally smiling when he says that. I think he said, come on, come on. You're talking to a 70-year-old Old Old Testament professor. I mean, come on, get serious. I came out here tonight because I I have some serious intellectual questions I would like to bounce off of you, such as, and Jesus cuts him off. He replies, "I, I assure you, like no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. You see, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to to spiritual life, to real life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. I think Jesus now is totally smiling back at him. He says, come on, you're, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. Now, the phrase that Jesus uses, born again, literally translates, born from above a heavenly birth, a spiritual birth. And this concept of rebirth, God's plan to give men and women a new heart, a new life, eternal life, was clearly revealed all throughout the Hebrew scriptures. For instance, when Jesus talks about being born of the water and the spirit here, Jesus is alluding to a passage that would have been very, very familiar to Nicodemus. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 36 where God promises to wash his people with water to purify them of their cancerous, life-threatening sin condition and replace their heart of stone with his very own heart. So I think that Jesus is lovingly saying to Nicodemus, come on. Come on, you, you know. You know there's something more, don't you? You know it in your head, you know it in your heart and that's why you're out here tonight. You see, Nicodemus, I'm aware that teachers can teach things for years and never really grasp what they mean, but think it through. You are a much respected Old Testament scholar. So you know, you know the scriptures, you know, that God has always wanted to replace your heart with a brand new one. You know that God has always desired a relationship, an intimate relationship with you. You know that God will send the Messiah to make a way for all people, all people to be saved. Nicodemus, you know that religion is just a dead-end street. One you've been running up and down all your life. You're trying to earn God's favor, but you're sensing it doesn't work. I, I have a feeling that you, you know, you've always known that there's this personal, transformational, born-from-above type of relationship with God that could change everything about your life. And I think you can sense that in me, but you don't know how to get it. And that's why you're here tonight. You see, up to this point, all Nicodemus knew was religion. Rituals, traditions, rules on top of rules, trying to do enough good stuff to get noticed by God and other people and not necessarily in that order, because that's what religion does to you. It gets you running, gets you striving, gets you faking it, gets you motivated by guilt and approval seeking, and you know what? There's no end in sight, there's no finish line. You have no idea if you've run far enough or fast enough. You have no idea if you've done it good enough. So you either run so hard that it just about kills you and everybody else in your path, or you just give up and you walk away. And I think Nicodemus is tired of running. I think he's growing weary of pretending to know God when he really didn't. And that's where I was when I came to Christ. And I'm just guessing a few of of us are there. It's so tired of faking it. Many of us got so tired of playing these games with God, weary of the religious treadmill, these rituals and man-made rules that would just suck the life out of you. And they actually made you wanna know God less. So many of us just walked away. We gave up on religion. We said, you know what? I will never ever set foot in a church again. And then we met Jesus. Jesus. And we found him saying, come on, come to me. It's not religion. It's a relationship with God you've been craving. That's what you're thirsty for. I will give you living water. You must be born again. Eternal life is real and it's found in me. I remember reading a Rolling Stone magazine article years ago, an interview with an actor that I always get mistaken for, Brad Pitt. And he, <laughs> And he, and he says this, what? He says this. He said, man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. The cars, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is a general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? If you ask me, I say, toss all this. We gotta find something else. And I don't have all the answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm the guy who's got everything. I'm sitting in it. And I'm telling you, this is not it. And I think Nicodemus is right there. I think this smart, wealthy guy was experiencing the emptiness of life. He was weary of that treadmill of religious performance that he was on. I think he sensed in Jesus some hope of a real relationship with God. And deep down, he knew that Jesus had the answer for that. And that's why he was out there this night. And Jesus knew it. So Jesus stays with that, uh, you're a respected Old Testament professor approach by again going back to a story that Nicodemus would have been familiar with. And I love the way that Jesus was always trying to find connecting points with whoever he was talking with. I mean, he he was a master at that, still is, because he recognizes our own uniqueness and wants every one of us to, to get it. And in this moment, he is genuinely trying to reach this intellectual guy in a way that he can understand. Jesus says, listen, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the son of man, a term that Jesus used about himself, has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So Jesus leans in, he says, listen, Nick, can I call you Nick? Okay, Nicodemus, if you recall, This this reference is from the the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures. It's from the book of Numbers. Remember when the people of God had left Egypt and they were in the desert and they turned their back on God for like the millionth time and they flaunted their rebellion in his face and took his goodness for granted for like the millionth time. Nicodemus, you remember how, how as a real attention getter, God sent all these snakes. You remember that story? You probably even taught it in one of your one of your Old Testament literature classes. You, you remember how God instructed Moses to lift up a bronze snake on a pole and told him, anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. You, you remember that story, right, Nicodemus? And even though Nicodemus couldn't yet see it, Jesus was saying, there's a day coming very soon when I will be lifted up on a pole, on a cross. And anyone and everyone who looks to me will not only be saved from the snake bite of sin, but they're gonna live forever. And this is so cool. Just to make sure Nicodemus understands this. Jesus puts his hands on his shoulders and he leans in and says probably the most famous words in the entire Bible. He says, Nicodemus, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, God sent his son to the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You know, we, we've all seen somebody hold up a John three sixteen sign in the end zone of a, Football game, or people wear pendants or you know necklaces. Necklaces that say John three sixteen inscribed on them. A lot of people get John three sixteen tattooed somewhere on their body. In California, where I live, they put it on the bottom of every In and Out Burger cup. It says right on the bottom, John three sixteen. If you've ever wondered what John three sixteen was all about, now you know. Incredible good news for anybody who believes. But I love how personal this was. Think about this. Nicodemus is the only one who actually heard those words come out of Jesus' mouth. Before there ever was a John three sixteen. Jesus didn't say, let me point you to John 3, 16. No, he just said this to this guy. <laughs> On a dark night, hanging secretly in the shadows, Jesus gave him personally these famous words of light and life. There are four different books all about Jesus' life in the New Testament. We're going to cover all four of them in this series. They're called the Gospels, which simply just means the good news, the good news about God's love for us. It's a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's interesting to me that only John's gospel mentions Nicodemus, and he does it three different times. And John writes in the last chapter of his gospel, he says something like, I'm just scratching the surface here. I mean, Jesus did so many other th- incredible things as well. I mean, if every one of them were written down, I suppose the whole world wouldn't have enough room for all the books that could be written about all the amazing things I've seen Jesus do. So, out of all the other things that John could have included, he includes the story of this intellectual seeker so we could map this journey as well. I want you to look, look for a minute, second time he's, he's mentioned in John 7. About a year has passed after Nicodemus leaves this late night conversation with Jesus. And by this time, the debates concerning the identity of Jesus were really heating up. And most of the members of the Sanhedrin had had enough of Jesus. They wanted him dead. They, they, they hated his teachings. They hated his miracles. They, they were jealous of his popularity with, with the people. He, they hated his pointed comments toward them. So they send these guards to arrest Jesus. Well, the guards come back empty handed and the members of the Sanhedrin are ticked and they ask, why didn't you arrest him? And I love the way the guards respond. They said, well, because we've never heard anybody speak the way that guy does. In other words, if you want him, go get him yourself. We think this guy's a real deal. Well, the Pharisees climb all over these guards saying that they had been deceived like every other dim-witted loser in all of Judea and a heated argument breaks out in the Sanhedrin. And then, one of their own stands up. Guess who? Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him? To find out what he's doing? You see, Nicodemus had done that. He had been with Jesus. He had heard those words. He had sensed something so different. He had been one-on-one with goodness. He had looked into the understanding eyes of truth. He had experienced hope in his presence. So he stands up and says, hang on a minute. Are you men gonna jump to conclusions and condemn somebody without really taking the time to examine the evidence? I mean, this is so cool to me. How his doubt has now turned to defense going secretly at night, has now turned into public association by day. Private conversation has turned into public debate. Now, I'm still amazed at my friend Lee's struggle. how he moved from doubt to defense. Lee was a self-proclaimed atheist when he worked for the Chicago Tribune, reporting on criminal cases. He even won some awards for his investigative journalism. He was an evidence guy, cold case kind of guy. Well, Lee's marriage wasn't going so well and his wife started going to church. She started seeking after something more and he began to notice changes in her life that started him on a quest to find out if all this Jesus stuff was real or not. Like Nicodemus, he reasoned, well, I guess I can't condemn the man without examining the evidence. And this is what Lee writes. All I had given the evidence was a cursory look. I had read just enough philosophy and history to find support for my skepticism. A fact here, a scientific theory there, a pithy quote, a clever argument. Sure, I could see some gaps and inconsistencies, but I had a strong motivation to ignore them. A self-serving and immoral lifestyle that I would be compelled to abandon if I were to ever change my views and become a follower of Jesus. So as far as I was concerned, the case was closed. There was enough proof for me to rest easy with the conclusion that the divinity of Jesus was nothing more than the fanciful invention of superstitious people, or so I thought. Lee writes those words in his amazing bestseller called The Case for Christ, where he offers up compelling evidence, defense for the person of Jesus. And I would really encourage you to read it if you never have. Lee moved from doubter to defender to fully devoted follower of Jesus. And that was Nicodemus' pathway, because there's a third time that John mentions him. It's in chapter 19. It's right after the crucifixion of Jesus. Every time I read it, it moves me. It says, afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, because he feared the Jewish leaders, he feared gods like Nicodemus, he asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body When Pilate, the Roman governor, gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. And with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. Two powerful men, two wingtip wearers. Once in hiding. Hiding from God, hiding from each other. Now together at the cross. The cross does that to people. Because the ground is level there. And think for a moment, what what was at stake for rule keeping Nicodemus in this moment? both men by handling a dead body have now defiled themselves for the Passover and no Pharisee would ever do that for any reason. And to top it off, this dead body was Jesus. The one his fraternity had just crucified. He would be kicked out and lose everything. And not only that, did you see how Nicodemus Nicodemus makes a huge financial investment as well. You might remember the story of a woman who anoints Jesus with a bottle of perfume. It says the contents of the vase were worth a year's wages. Nicodemus brings 75 pounds. 75 pounds of super expensive spices with him, primarily myrrh, because that's how they embalm the body from the exterior to overpower the overwhelming decay of death. But this was more than this. This was a lavish expression of gratitude and love and deep, deep respect. Nicodemus, this intellectual who arranged a secret meeting at night had moved from doubt to defense to full devotion. And I just wonder if he stood at the foot of the cross looking at the lifeless body of Jesus. If he could hear those words from that late night encounter where Jesus said the Son of God must be lifted up on a pole so that everybody who believes can have eternal life. As Nicodemus helped pry the nails from Jesus' wrist bones and ankle bones, I wonder of his mind was swirling with the thoughts of Nicodemus for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world that the world through him might be saved. As Nicodemus began to wash Jesus' blood-drenched body with water, I just wonder if he could hear the very first words that Jesus ever said to him, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the Spirit. And as he wrapped the body in spices and linen, I wonder if he thought back to when Jesus went way below his surface questions and seemed to speak right to his heart, saying, Nicodemus, the issue isn't where I came from. The issue is where you're going. And it seems that Nicodemus settled that issue in his life. The question is have you. I mean, honestly, where, where are you in all this? Maybe, maybe you find yourself in his shoes. Get a lot of questions. What next step do you need to take? What kind of questions do you have? Or maybe maybe you've settled most of your questions, but you've just never really invited Jesus to come into your life. You've never asked him to forgive your sin and give you a brand new birth and give you a brand new life and give you eternal life. So wherever you're at, I really, I really encourage you to Make this a front burner issue in your life. I wanna challenge every one of you listening to do what Nicodemus did and step away from the crowd and just come face to face with Jesus. Get one on one with him. I wanna give you a chance to do that like right now. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. You see, to believe is more than just intellectual assent that Jesus is God. It means to put our trust and confidence in him who alone can save us. It's to put Jesus in charge of our present plans, to put him in charge of our eternal destiny. Believing is both trusting his words as reliable and relying on him for the power to change our lives because we don't have that power on our own. And so if you've never trusted Christ before, would you let the promise he gave to Nicodemus be your promise? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. So maybe, maybe in this moment, um, you could just pray a, a prayer that just, just an honest prayer that says something like, Jesus, I, uh, I got a lot of questions, I got doubts, I, I got some skepticism. I'm, I'm asking you right now to just help me take another step. I heard it. you. You said you, if you just have a tiny seed of faith, that you could do amazing things in me, and that's all I got right now. I don't. I don't. I just have a willingness to believe. But I, I'm opening my heart up right now. Because to be honest, God, I, I've kind of built a wall around my heart. I got hurt a long time ago, and so I just decided you weren't real and. I'm just coming to you right now, saying my heart's open and I wanna know you. Or maybe you're at the point where you say, I've got all my questions answered. I, I I just never surrendered my life to you, Jesus, and I'm asking you right now, come into my life, forgive my sin, make me a new person, help me to be born again, born from above, to know real life, spiritual life from the inside out. I want to give up control of my life right now. I want to surrender to your leadership and I will follow you. I want to be one of those, those, those men, one of those women right now that just say, I want to move from my doubts to defense, to full devotion. I want to follow you with all my life. And I, want, I want you to know God honors honest prayer like that. And so I encourage you to stay honest with him. And just watching move in your life, Father, right now, I just want to thank you so much for including this story in, in your word. I'm grateful that John wrote it down, that he was so impressed with this guy's journey that he wanted us to track it because you know that a lot of us are just like him. We, we hang back in the shadows. we don't want to let people know that we're even thinking about you know this Jesus stuff that we were show up on a church. We, and then all of a sudden we, we just know it's just true. And we examine the evidence and then our life just changes. God, I, I thank you for the journey. Many of us have been on there and I, and I pray for those that are, that are beginning that journey right now. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.